You are listening to Synergistic Step Parenting Podcast with host Maria Nadipov, helping step parents transform family chaos into meaningful and harmonious co parenting. Hi, step parents. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Maria Nadipov, step parenting coach and strategist. I am very excited to bring you this special episode that is near and dear to my heart. This week, we conclude the conversation with Lila as she shares more of her story, what that has looked like for her, how she learned to heal, and what that has looked like and continues to look like. Find the show notes for this episode at synergisticstepparenting.com forward slash 34. In spite of some unpleasant details, I'm so excited to share this interview crammed with robust sound bites with you all. And despite her tender age, she has many. Let's dive in. I would love to ask you, were there anything, I mean, obviously you were a kid going through all of this awful stuff. What did you notice was helpful or really unhelpful? Your father and I being the primary adults in your life during that time, being your primary day-to-day supports and responsible for noticing and trying our best to, to help you navigate all of this. Brutally honest, what were things that were just not helpful and what were things that were helpful or what were things that we maybe arrived to together and learned about together that ended up being helpful? I think that... One thing that really wasn't helpful was like saying eat. And one thing that really was helpful was helping me learn what I'm missing. Because with school, I struggled a lot when it came to actually learning and passing work and doing work. So you guys took the time to actually help me learn the things that I missed. And that really helped me a lot because I'm catching up on things, even learning more things that I didn't really need to learn yet, but I still learned. And it helped me a lot. Do you mean specifically with the actual schoolwork or ways to learn or structural fundamentals? Both. Um, because you guys taught me how to learn in a new way, but also you taught me school things, math and English and social studies, more math and English. It helped me out a lot, learning all these new strategies. You helped me learn different ways to help me calm down. One thing that really wasn't helpful was having a TV and a bathroom in your room at age 12 when you are already not doing so well and can't really sleep. Do not, do not give your kids a TV if they already can't sleep. Already electronics keep your mind awake. And having a TV in there, mine was a tiny TV, but still made a big effect on me. I had one of those Roku TVs, so it had like almost everything on it. So... I could find literally anything, watch it. If somebody came in, shut off the TV, I turned it back on. It was like I'm addicted to a TV. But because I couldn't sleep, obviously it seemed like I was addicted because obviously I wouldn't sleep. So it became really hard. And one thing that was really helpful about was when I moved in with you and dad, I didn't have the distraction of a TV. I didn't have electronics in my room really, except for like a little DS, but that was it. And it actually made me get a lot more sleep. That's awesome. Was that immediate or did it take a little bit of an adjustment for you to adjust to not having the TV? Because I would imagine throughout those difficult years, it served as almost like a best friend. Yes, it's a distraction, but I would imagine that it was kind of like the old faithful friend that you could rely on in a sense to keep you company. 
I don't know. You tell me. What was Pretty your experience? Pretty much immediate. Like, I just... One thing that happened, though, when I moved in was, like, I was very paranoid. I didn't really need a TV to sleep. I was used to sleeping with, like, a nightlight on, like, a bunch of lights on. Sleeping in the darkness, no-go for me in the beginning. I always thought, too, like, when a car door shut, that they were coming to get me. That my, that my birth mom and her husband were coming to get me, and I used to freak out a lot. But sleeping without a TV was pretty much fine. I, it was, it was kind of just, like, second nature at that point. Because some nights I wouldn't. Towards the end, I just, like, wouldn't. But a lot of the time, like, say you picked me up and took me out two years before that point, I would have been very much not been able to sleep at all if I did not have a TV in my room. So, over time, I learned that I didn't need a TV. I still had it. My room was, like, its own little house. Like, it felt like that my birth mom's house because I had like food, I had water, I had a couch, I had a TV, I had an Xbox, I had a bathroom, and a cat. <laughs> so it was kind of just like I would never leave. I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to see anybody. So it was kind of just like my little dome of, I don't know, like me, I guess. So after I moved out, I kind of created that dome by myself here, except like I knew that I couldn't have a lot of the things that I had before because it would just lead to bad things. So so what kinds of things, as you mentioned that, did you learn that it was better to do without literally what you just mentioned? Can you elaborate a little bit more? Couch, Xbox, TV, scandalous clothes. That was a main one because I didn't know how to dress and I thought that was the only way to dress when I was younger. Crap ton of makeup. BB cream is one. BB cream is like a foundation, except this one was like two shades lighter than my actual skin. Okay, getting a visual. Yes, a bunch of movies in my room. That was a big thing. So I would constantly watch movies all the time. Not a bunch of water bottles in my room. Um, that's another thing that I have learned to live without. A cat. Just like everything else but a bed and a closet. And as you say that those things you realized led to bad things, can you can you talk a little bit more? Is it because it was constant access? Is it because it was too cluttered? Can you just oh, it was really that? both water bottles everywhere? Because what would end up happening was I would shove them under my bed with like my cat and like clothes and like books, and, and then I would have randomly there would just be like snacks in my room. Bathroom was just cluttered with makeup. And there was paint everywhere, and everything was dirty, and it was bad. And like, so I'm not a dirty person. It might seem like I am a dirty person. I'm not a dirty person. I am actually disgusted when a bathroom is dirty. So the fact that I had let it get that way was disgusting to me. To be fair, though, you were a young kid, and there was definitely a lot you were going through. At the yeah, time. there was. A lot of the time, like, I would just get into these moments where it's just like, I have to clean, I have to do these things. And it kind of felt like a release a little bit because one thing that I used to do when I was really young, when I would use the bathroom over and over again, and it all just like, I wouldn't, like, do anything with it. It would just be there. And then when I woke up, I'd be confused because it would just be like, it looked like somebody used my toilet like 12 times because I just, like, kept on going to the bathroom over and over again. It would be like 13 times a night I would go to the bathroom. 
And because I never slept, it would just be a constant thing. There would be the TV on. Like, all of my lights would be on. Like, my bathroom light would be on. My closet light would be on. My little night light above my bed would be on. And, like, there would be people fighting around and, like, all these different things. So it wasn't like, it was like anxiety overload all of the time. Yeah, that I mean, I'm already, like, stressed just hearing you describe that. It's overwhelming, and I'm an adult who's fairly grounded in my day-to-day life. That's a lot. That was so helpful to hear your take on that and get into some of the specifics of what was distracting, and it makes perfect sense that obviously eliminating that would be helpful. What did you find to be the hardest thing as you look back on everything? And clearly there's a lot to look back on. Is there anything specific or a couple of specific things that feel particularly challenging that you think of? Not talking was the hardest part of this whole entire thing. I am a very talkative person if I, if I want to be. I am not very talkative with new people, but I am a very talkative person. Not being able to talk about everything that I was going through and all the pain that I was going through really hurt because I knew that the people that I cared about the most and that cared about me the most didn't know what was going on, but physically they would see me break down and are physically like they'd see me just shrivel over time and I know you saw it because a lot of the time you talk about that and it took a bigger toll on me because it's like I'm I'm watching myself crumble into like this pile of nothing over time and just like a shell of a girl and the shell of a girl was brutally like shattered all over like she like when you, when you look at an old China doll, and she's just, like, breaking. Pieces of her face are broken off, like, different things. It was like that. I would look at myself and just feel gross. Everything was just hurting. And so not being able to talk to the people that I trust the most, and if I did talk to them, not being able to trust them anymore because they wouldn't do anything, just tortured me. I didn't know what to do. I really didn't, because at that point after that, I didn't feel like I could trust anybody with this information anymore. It makes perfect sense that that would be the natural conclusion that you would draw at that point. So how did you navigate that? It sounds like you were completely isolated. As you said, you lost faith in the people that you felt that you were the closest to, that you felt that you were supposed to be trusting the most. What next? I thought that everything was over for me. I felt extremely suicidal. It just, just was torture. I ended up going into a mental hospital for a little while. Um, I went into an inpatient program, a partial program, um, to try to get myself back into things. After that, everything got easier. But if that didn't happen, it would have been really bad. Every single day, it was just full of anxiety and fear. So it took me a long time, and I'm I'm still trying to figure a lot of things out. It seems like I got a lot of it down, but let me tell you right now, it's it's a lot. It's it's really a lot to comprehend and to really figure it out because there's so many different depths to go into emotionally, physically, sexually, verbally, like all of these different things that you have to go into. And a lot of people don't think about that. They really don't. But that's what you have to do to really understand it all. Like, I, if I look back on things, I can physically and mentally feel it. But I always talk about things from a bird's eye view. So emotionally, it gets harder. But one thing that I realized as 
talking about it and it goes on, it gets a lot better and a lot easier. So I'm still navigating it as, <laughs> as it goes and as I'm living life and having different experiences. So it sounds like, just to recap, that as you mentioned, going into the inpatient and partial program, that even though you were moved from that physical environment, it didn't get easier. Yeah. Some things got a little bit better, but that still, there was a lot. Did it feel like almost it got harder after that? Yeah, it felt like everything was still going on because everything was still going on, really. All of these feelings didn't go away because I knew that deep inside, it wasn't done with. Nothing was done with. Yeah, if I may, often when people go through something like this so extensively for such a long time, living in fear, living in what feels like a hostile environment on all on all levels, or really on any level, there's almost a point where you're like in survival mode, right? So certain features shut off just for the sake of being able to move through it and just to go on. So it's like the organism is trying to preserve itself. So some of it is almost not being completely processed at that time because it's like we just have to survive. But when it's for an extended period of time, it takes a huge toll. And then when the person is removed from that immediate threatening situation, there's almost what's called a honeymoon period of that short moment of relief. But then, as you said, there's the fear of, but what if it's just temporary? It's just a temporary vacation and they're going to come back or I'm going to have to be forced to go back there again or whatever. And that those are common things that occur. And then eventually, when it's long enough and the brain recognizes, okay, this is a permanent change, it almost then starts to process. And some people describe that at that moment, it's actually even more painful because suddenly all the things that somebody wasn't dealing with because it was just too much, almost like maybe this idea of dissociation. When somebody's going through an extremely traumatic, extremely painful event, the mind will dissociate, meaning they're physically there, but they're almost somewhere else mentally. And a level of that is happening when somebody is in a very hostile environment with a lot of stress and a lot of physical or emotional threat. And then when they're finally out of that environment, when it's been long enough, suddenly it feels like they're starting to process. That is starting to thaw out and more memories are returning and the feelings are able to be felt possibly at a deeper level and it all happens slowly and it unfolds. Does that resonate with your experience? Is that what it was like for you? Or was it different? I agree with what you're saying. Because um, after I got out, it just like, everything was still there. And I really thought everything was going away. It, it, was, it, was, it just wasn't. I dissociated a lot um, to see if the pain would go away. So after I got out, it was like everything had just punched me in the face. And soul. It was just the worst. Yeah, you know. And and it sounds like when you went to those programs that it helped with you. Absolutely, but not completely. I feel like there's a lot of unresolved things after I got out. Which honestly those unresolved things I'm trying to figure out for myself. But it helped a lot. What would you say was the turning point or the breakthrough? And maybe there's kind of several moments you remember, or maybe there's just one that comes to mind. And I know sometimes those breakthrough moments can be very seemingly small, but like retrospectively, they, they you realize they actually were the, the huge things. 
or led to huge things. Can you talk a little bit about that in your experience? The house that we are in right now is a beautiful home of ours. I realized that we had a stable family and that we weren't just with each other because it looked good. We weren't doing it because it appealed to other people. But we were doing it because we actually cared about each other and that was, that was my turning point for me because I was around people that really just cared about the look and how other people were going to react. And do you say that because our house looks almost decrepit from the outside because the paint is feeling so badly? Well, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> no, I say that because, like, yes, our house does not look that good from the outside. <laughs> but our house is built with love and passion. And we care for each other, not only like a family, but like, but like we're best friends. And we care for our mental well-being, each other's mental well-being. And just being here made me realize that I am in a place that I can really trust and that I can be myself. And it made me feel a lot better. Plus, you didn't yell at me when I came out. So that, <laughs> that made me feel a lot more comfortable. It was like a glimmer of hope. Is that yes. <laughs> yes, it was a major glimmer of hope compared to how, how everybody else acted. That's beautiful. So where are you at with things now? You mentioned that it's still a journey. Talk a little bit about how it is for you now. What what does the day-to-day look like? What does that feel like? And what things do you notice or look for? What things do you maybe make it a point to do for yourself now? Because you just know that they're good things to do. I make it a point to do yoga every day. Or pretty much every day. Because sometimes I don't do it on the weekends. But... Um, I pretty much make sure that I do yoga and work out almost every day because it's just a physical release of energy, whether it's toxic or non-toxic, it doesn't really matter, it's just a release. I'm trying to make sure that I'm eating three meals a day, not skipping out because I'm just trying to get my eating under control and not feel like I am eating too little or eating too much, making sure that I am getting my physical activity like tennis or basketball seeing friends seeing friends and going outside (laughs) is my biggest one i've been seeing my friends all the time outside of school and we've been just going and walking around and drinking tea and (laughs) just doing all these things that i never thought i would do i i had a conversation with my friend today and i'm just like hey i'm going out and she said you're going outside and i said yes and she's like that's weird I'm just starting to go outside because usually I would just sit inside and dance around in my room to loud music and watch stuff. So just making sure that I take that time to go outside and be outside, whether that's playing tennis or just walking home, just taking that time for myself. That's awesome. This has been so incredibly valuable and I'm so impressed with you. Just so appreciate that you are willing to answer openly all of these questions and really share that these things are a journey and that no matter how dark things might seem at any given moment, that that's just that moment and that it can change and that it's possible to move on and find ways and resources and people and different ways to approach things that feel a lot better and that lead to much better results. I mean, that's what I'm taking away from 
everything you just shared. Please, anything you have to add would be phenomenal. I say one last thing that I have to add is don't dwell on the past. Do not do that. Looking back on yourself and beating yourself up for how you used to act and how you used to be is not right because you looking back on it today, you're in a different place than how you were before. You didn't know the things that you know now two years, three years ago, maybe even four. You have no idea. You had no idea. You didn't know how things were going to turn out. So you can't beat yourself up for knowing something that you wouldn't have known. Don't dwell on things that you wouldn't have known about. And now you do. Don't do that. You're just torturing yourself even more. You're making it harder to grow because you're keeping yourself back. Wow, that is so incredible. I love that you just said that. That is so beautiful. I mean, that is a wonderful place to end. Thank you so much, Lila. You are truly an inspiration. And I just so, again, appreciate how open you are willing to be about these conversations that are so, so important and unfortunately touch a lot more of us than we often realize. And so for all of the listeners out there, please remember that there are things you can do and places you can turn to and people you can turn to for help if you are struggling with anything like this please reach out to me at maria at synergisticstepparenting.com i'm happy to share resources and point you in the right direction for whatever your needs might be if you are also going through anything similar or notice that your child or stepchild is going through anything similar or if you realize that this is something that you have struggled with even as an adult again there are definitely resources and and places you can turn to for help and we are going to continue this conversation we are actually soon going to have Dr. Dara Bushman on the show who is an eating disorder specialist and she is going to talk about this issue from a clinical perspective and from her expertise of her extensive clinical knowledge and clinical experience. So stay tuned. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lila, again, for coming on to talk about this and for being willing to open up. That's really the key, I think, is just the connection and being willing to have the conversations that feel uncomfortable or that we have felt, just like you said, that we need to silence for whatever reason, which which is not true. And actually, it's the silence, as you've noted, that often leads to even more pain that is totally avoidable. So let's go ahead and break the silence. We'd love to hear your stories. If you can relate to this, please go ahead and email us if you're a step-parent or if you're a step-child. Again, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into Synergistic Step Parenting Podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming platform so you don't miss a thing. If you like what you hear and you find the information helpful, please rate us five stars and leave a review letting us know what you like about the show on Apple Podcast. Don't know how? Don't worry. We'll include instructions in the show notes. And if you know of other step parents who can benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them. John Swain did our theme music. Thanks, John.